Welcome to another episode of the Goldust Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We also hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with Alistair McCall. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capel. The meaning behind the brand runs much deep. The northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now, for today's guest. Here is a snippet of what to expect. Forget the player, forget the athlete for a minute. You need to be able to connect with the person. Um, because I, I always believe if you develop the person, then the player or the athlete part will be far more easy to do. Um, but you can try to develop the athlete and never know anything about the person. And, and there's, there's reason for that as well. Because when you think about performance, whether that's, you know, it could be a coach, it could be a player, it could be, I don't know, a singer, it could be an actor, whatever. There's always, the performance is never really authentic to the person because it changes and different situations and different stresses will, will cause a different performance, if you like, in terms of what we can observe. So players could be many things in many different environments and so can coaches. But what you, when you get to know in the person, you get to know who the authentic self is. We're excited to welcome Dr. Kerry Bowley onto today's episode of the Goldust Podcast. Kerry has held several roles in football, including being head of coaching support at City Football Group, where he was responsible for head of coach support and talent ID and development for the first teams and academies across all clubs within the group. Most recently, he was first team coach at Rangers Football Club. He has been a technical leadership advisor, performance coach and coach education consultant for clients such as Cardiff City, FC Academy, Welsh Rugby Union, Welsh Netball National Squad, Basketball Wales, Bristol Rovers Academy, international athletes, professional footballers and more. Dr Kerry Bowley, welcome to the Goldust Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, Kerry, as always, every every single podcast we ask the same question. To us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? Um, I think for me, it's probably something a little bit unique for each person in terms of, so I kind of think of it as maybe the USP that a person has. Um, and, and essentially, what is it that that person has to offer in terms of their area of expertise or um, insight that they can share to help people uh, on their journey, essentially? That's how I would kind of sum it up, I guess. Well, Kerry, as my dad mentioned at the start, doctor, uh, what what did you do your doctorate on? Um, so it was kind of sports psych coaching science, um, specifically life skill development of youth adolescent footballers, um, working as a partnership with the Football Association of Wales. So I studied at Cardiff Metropolitan University, and it was a partnership with the FAW Oshan Roberts was technical director at the time. Um, and we focused on uh, coach education, trying to develop coaches that were better able to support people as well as players, essentially. Great. Well, 
look, we're moving on in terms of your previous experiences. So you you worked for the FA, Merthyr, Barrytown, Cardiff City and Swansea and it it helped shape up an opportunity for you to become at the time what was the head of coaching support at the City Group. How did those previous experiences that you got help provide or get that opportunity for you? Um, I think I think the first thing I always think about with all of the experiences I've had is just opportunities to work with good people, first and foremost. I think that, that really helps. Um, but then a real diverse kind of range of experiences. So you've gone, you know, with Merthyr, particularly at the time, everything was voluntary. Um, the whole academy was a voluntary setup. There was no funding for the academy, so it was very much... Um, trying to or striving to be uh, the best we can be in terms of uh, the level that we could we could develop things to, but appreciation of the fact that everyone was a volunteer in the academy and um, those types of experiences, I guess, where we sit in the pecking order is almost to develop players for Cardiff, Swansea, now probably Newport, not so much at the time because Newport were also non-league at the time, um, but now but now them as well. Um, and that, when I look back at all of those experiences, it's kind of like Barry was a very new academy when I when I took that one on, and and it was because of a colleague and, and friend who was first team manager at the time who kind of uh, coerced me into the role, uh, and so that was very different because it was taking something from a from its infancy really and trying to put some um, foundations in place, uh, which which was a really good experience in that way. Barry had just got back to the Welsh Premier League. Um, which was important for them. There was funding attached to that academy at that time. So again, a little bit different. Um, and then Cardiff Swansea, of course, you get the opportunity to work under and with some really esteemed colleagues. Um, and, and I always think that, you know, if you want to learn every day, you can learn every day from people. Um, and some of the ones particularly, you know, when I consider Cardiff, because I was a lot younger, um, a lot of it was around day release and, and the people that were there at the time, Geraint Two's. Neil Ardley was academy manager. Lee Skirm um, worked as part of the 18s setup as it was then before 23s came around. So that it was just a real opportunity to learn from from top class professionals with a lot more experience than what I had as a as a young kind of coach coming through university. So I think all of those things put together helped me with understanding different models um, of of football. A wide range of experiences, as I've mentioned, uh, lots of different motivations for the players that are there, but also the staff as well. So how I, th- I suppose the biggest learning that helped me was how do you connect with people? Because when I went into CFG, six clubs, I think at the time when I left 11 clubs, very diverse range of people, culturally, nationalities, languages, all that kind of stuff. And the biggest thing for me is always how do you connect with a person? So I, I suppose that's what those experiences, if I was to pick one thing, really taught me. So whilst at the City Group, what was your role and main responsibilities there? Okay, so head of coaching support, essentially three broad areas, if you like. Um, First one was around coach recruitment, and that was first team coaches um, and also supporting academies with their recruitment where needed. But specifically around the first team, it was a surveillance programme, understanding the markets, all of the different markets that we operated in um, and searching for specific coaches really that fitted the profile of what City Football Group was about. Of course, there's a unique um, playing style, game style that's that's quite clear if you watch any of the teams play. But there's also some personal characteristics that 
Um, we would kind of see it on a consistent basis through our clubs, but then also some unique ones for each culture, each, each kind of uh, environment and context, if you like. So um, continually running this surveillance program and being in a place where when we needed to recruit, we were ready. Um, and recruit means not just the head coach, but the whole staff, the technical staff that goes with it, nice. um, which kind of morphed into, in some clubs, recruiting academy directors, in other clubs, recruiting sporting directors and, and kind of replicating the search that we do for coaches for those. So that was kind of one, one area. The second broad area was coach development, and that was to try and service all coaches across all our clubs um, through some online platforms, in-situ visits, um, various different ways. As you can imagine, with you know over 200 coaches that we had across the group that we had to try to support, um, it's uh, no mean feat. But then also, when you recruit, we, we did it with the development pathway in mind. So always wanting to recruit coaches that could start in one club but could then continue their journey through the group and have some longevity through City Football Group and there's a number of examples of where we managed to do that but that meant one-to-one unique support um, understanding the person their ambitions uh, what drives them what motivates them what their skill set is what their super strengths are and and being really clear on how we're going to try to support them along their journey so that was kind of a second part and then the third broad area would be around the methodology. Uh, mentioned the unique game style. Uh, all our clubs around the world had to play a version of that, of what you see at Man City um, and what Pep Guardiola does rather well. Um, we had to try to play a version of that around the world. So uh, the first thing that struck me was that the philosophy was really clear, but the methodology less so. And there are differences, of course, between between the two things. So developing a methodology and then trying to help coaches to understand it first and foremost. And then obviously the transfer to player learning through the whole pathway, whether that be um, academies all the way through to first team, so that there was some synergy alignment in terms of what we were trying to do, the language that we used across the group, even though there are so many different languages in our clubs, obviously the terminology that is used needed to be consistent um, to give us a chance to speak the same football language, at least so that we knew if someone mentioned mini games, we knew what that was. Everybody around the group would know what they meant by it. Because what what we always often see in football is that people come up with new phrases and names for things every day. Um, and all it really does is confuse everybody. So we try to keep it rather simplistic. And sometimes simplicity is junior. So we uh, we try to do a good job of that. But they would be the, th- the three kind of broad areas that then morphed into many different things around individual development and um, some support of the co- of the recruitment staff and scouts around the world to identify specific profiles, that kind of stuff. Academy strategy fell as part of the role as it kind of grew. Um, but the three main ones would be the ones I, I've given you there. That's a no small feat in terms of managing that whole process. So you mentioned briefly 11 clubs by the time you, you left. With that, you've got cultures, you've got different languages you've got people from all kinds of backgrounds very very diverse and you talked in that last answer about one of the main parts of your role was obviously recruitment so coach recruitment and and getting a certain sort of staff member a certain sort of person to fulfill those roles that can then move on and you want not you but as a as a club obviously and your role was implementing this methodology across all the groups 
So really question for you is, you've got all these people from all over the world. You have to implement a methodology to new groups of staff, to new members coming in. What processes would you follow to enable you to do that? I think the first thing for me is always that recruitment is vital. We all know that. Um, It's easy to get wrong, I would say, whether that's players or whether that's coaches. And, you know, you can look through the game and um, people make judgments all the time of whether people have got it right or not. But I think the first thing is you have to have total clarity over what is it that you're looking for. Um, Because, as I say, there are so many coaches out there with great winning records and everything else, but they have to fit. Uh, They have to fit in terms of what they believe in around the game. But probably the biggest thing and where we spend most time is the person. Are they the right people that we need to come in into the buildings and, and into the organization to work? So I spent a lot of time around that, being on calls like this, meeting people in situ where there's an opportunity to get into games and watching their teams play, looking at conduct on the touchline, all of that kind of stuff. References, as, you, as you'd imagine, from various different people that have worked with them at different stages in their career to really try to piece up um, a firm grasp over what is it that this person's about. Um, and then when, when you go through that process, you can be more sure about the person that you're getting in. So I think if you can get the person bit right, then you've always got a chance because um, you, can, you can support, you can influence, you can educate. But if the person doesn't want to be educated, supported and influenced, then you're going to struggle clearly. So if you get the first part right, then you've got every chance. Um, and, w- and what we tended to do then was, you know, I would I would give them some element of introduction to what we believe in through the methodology. And we had an online platform that was developed that we could give them a tour around, if you like. So they had a better idea when they came in also of what to expect. So it wasn't like a, it was a, a secret, top secret in terms of how we do it and all that, and, and that kind of stuff. But through the re- recruitment process, little insights were given because we didn't want it to be a shock. So, and I certainly didn't. I needed to be able to work with these people when they come into their role. And so they needed to understand what, what was it that we were going to expect of them. Otherwise, if, if the two are not aligned, then it becomes a problem, of course. So, so that, that was probably a, a real chunk of my time. And then, and then the key bit is not to think that you have all the answers because I don't think anybody does. Um, and you have to be ready when, when they want you to be ready rather than when I think they should be ready if that makes sense. So you're almost waiting for the opportunity to connect um, when, they're, when they're in the role rather than trying to enforce things constantly. So there's, a, there's clarity over this is what it looks like, but then each coach is given some freedom and license to, to bring it to life in their environment. And it'll be no surprise to you that the, the first opportunity that most give to connect is when they're losing games. Because it's like, well, what happens now? So that won't be any surprise. Some of them naturally were all in from the off and just want and were curious and wanted support. And, and there are some examples of that. And then others, it was right, when we start to lose, oh, hang on a minute, I might need some help here. And you've got to be ready. If you're ready and you're credible at that moment where you can actually give them some support that helps them, brings clarity and helps them and, um, and helps them to feel comfortable in, in the role, then I think they continue to buy in. If you're not ready at that time, then you get one chance at it. And, and if you're not, then a lot of coaches will discard um, your ideas and, and your thinking at that moment. So I was quite fortunate that the guys that I worked with were good, good people, good coaches. Um, and I was able to support week to week 
day to day with some of them. Um, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them now. Still speak to some of them, you know, I probably speak to five or six of them weekly still um, after leaving. So that's probably a decent indicator of relationships that you manage to build through your time there, really. Um, but the, you know, like, like everyone would say, there's no replacement for the work that you put in. The more diligence you do, the, the more able you will be to support them when they start and also not being put off by negative comments because I was searching for them. I was searching for the worst thing I could find out because once you know what the worst thing you can find out is, you can work back from it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's natural. It's human nature. If you ask 10 people about any person in the world, someone somewhere will say something negative. So, you know, and when you seek out people like the players that weren't playing under them previously, why? What did they think of them? And if they were still very positive about the coach, it tells you a real, um, real with real clarity, really, what this person's about. So very much an hands-on role. Try to be. I'm sure you'll have heard of it. Good to Great by Jim Collins. Yeah. If you get the right people on the bus, it doesn't matter what seats they sit on at the moment. What you can do is rearrange that during during the travel, during the actual journey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you if they know that you're in it with them, and when I mean in it with them, you're on that roller coaster, you're emotionally attached like they are, um, and you genuinely are there to support them then I think they value that massively as well um, because it is a roller coaster journey. Well, you mentioned results. If you're in the result game or, yeah. or development, it's slightly different mindset and the purpose becomes slightly differently or softer in the development as opposed to yeah. the result. But, you know, once you've defined a, a methodology, it's important to be able to communicate that across to other members of the club yeah. So how do you go about doing that? Um, well, I th think the first thing is obviously you've got in every club you've got the key leaders. So if you if you think you've got the sporting director or technical director, whatever title they they hold, you have the first team head coach, you have the academy director. They're your first, your three first, or director of coaching or head of coaching, however, whatever the landscape is um, in that country. So I think the first thing is that to to try to support via them because we also have to respect when you're in a group model particularly you're not there every day and it's their club it's not your club um and now you, you some would say yeah but city football group own those clubs yeah i get that but i didn't want to get into any of that with them in terms of it's not my plan it's our plan and you're the ones that are there day to day to to live it and breathe it and for that reason it's respectful for me to work through you rather than directly to your coaches and then, obviously, if they wanted more support directly to the other staff, then then you provide it. But to start with, be respectful of the environment. Um, always try to work in the right way through them with the right intentions. And so if you start to understand or they get them to help understand where you're going with it and what it looks like, they can then better support people in their club because they're going to do this on mass far more than what I am with each individual club, of course, um, particularly when my focus became certain coaches and, and obviously first team coaches as well. So I think that that's your first bit, but then it, you have to have multiple ways to reinforce the message. So the message is this, this is the framework of the methodology. And then you're looking for how many different ways can I reinforce the same message to help them to understand because, you know, uh, and you guys will know uh, very well through being coaches, you have various tasks that are involved with being a coach. And so if you can reinforce it through, through training footage, great. 
if you can reinforce it post-match um, where if through an experience that they've just had, that brings back vivid memories and you can reinforce what it could look like or the bit parts that were good, but what parts could we develop further from the game? So it really creates a, a clear picture for them. Then there's some support in situ. Uh, we have an online platform with lots of ideas and, and things around curiosity that was part of it was for us specifically based upon what we believe in. But the second part was around trends in the game. So, you know, if I was watching games and the one that always comes to my mind um, because because I used it quite a lot in the end was what we called the Bielsa bounce pass. So when Marcelo Bielsa was at Leeds, he used to do a specific thing where fullbacks would play to wingers and then run the inside channel. And it was it, they played like a one-two bounce pass type thing. So that became something that we we introduced as something that was happening in the game already, um, but maybe something to consider for certain people, depending on the type of opposition that they're playing um, as another way, because we already had the inverted fullback. We know that. We also knew that fullbacks could overlap, but then is the part of underlapping, but not necessarily in the top half of the pitch. It could be in your own half, for example. So we're just bringing variety in that way. Um, and once you spark curiosity through these little videos, they're a hook. Then people want to speak. And then when they want to speak about them, there's another opportunity to reinforce the key messages of the methodology. Provided you're very clear on it, then you can you can draw the dots and, and, and join, join things up for them. So, so I think that that's the key part for me is not just having one way of doing it. There needs to be various. There needs to be ways to do it remotely. There needs to be ways to support via other people, key influencers in the club because of their role. But there also needs to be ways to support them individually and in situ as well. And I think it's a it's a combination of all those things really that I that I try to use through my time there. From your standpoint, how do you choose a particular methodology? Um, well, I think it goes from it comes from the game style, the philosophy that indicates what should be in in the methodology and then there are and we had this various different ways learning theories that can bring this to life so we needed to expose coaches to a range of them because i don't personally believe that one way is the way i think you need a range of them depending on situation so you know for example we'd use things around self-determination theory we'd use things around constructivist approach constraints-led approach motivational climate a range of things. And, and as you can imagine, for some coaches, this was all new. So I had to find a way of helping them to understand it and convince at the same time that this stuff is helpful. And sometimes looking at academic theory is, is good and, and it's not divorced from reality if you can put it in into practice. And, you know, things like zone proximal development, all of these things became part of the everyday. Um, and, and that's where, where we got it to. So, you know, the, the methodology in terms of the content of what it needed to be was determined largely by the philosophy and the game style. But the way to bring it to life, obviously, there's a massive range of them. And, and it was about trying to help people find their best way, but also understanding that you have to adapt to your players and that we can't determine as coaches how we're going to deliver all of this because we have a squad of players at every age group, let's say there's 18 for argument's sake, although we know first teams a lot more, but let's say 18 for argument's sake. The kind of approach we tried to take with it was that all 18 of those players are learning something different. Even though the topic's the same, they're learning something different. And it's our job as coaches to find a way to connect with every one of those individuals as often as possible, as specific as possible, and to create as an individualised as possible 
journey, story, narrative, learning for them. Um, and that that's the way that we we try to try to tackle it. And of course, we're all striving for, for perfection, but we know that it never exists because every week and every session, what an individual needs might be different. So uh, so we're always trying to be aware of that and, and bring that to life. Great answer, really. And I think with that being said, and you've just touched on it, the biggest indicator of success in your message or messages or what you deliver is really the change in behavior afterwards. And I think the the right method really just depends on what you're coaching and what you're delivering to whom and when. And if you're yeah. able to observe and probably understand who it is you're dealing with in the moment, that's yeah. when you probably get a little bit of success as opposed to just delivering to the group as a whole. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I had a saying, and I still use it quite a lot, but complicated can be simplified, but complex has to be understood. And human beings are complex, um, so we have to understand them. Football, in some ways, is complex because of the the multitude of things that happen on the pitch every minute of the game. So for that reason, you really need to understand it. And once you understand it, you can then start to support um, but the things that we try to avoid was overcomplicating things because we know that it's complex enough without adding complication. So we try to simplify some of that stuff back in terms of the messaging and things, keeping a level of consistency every week that then could help them sort the complexity when it came to decision-making. Because essentially that's what we're trying to help, whether that's as people or whether that's as uh, as players, we're trying to help people make the right decision as often as possible. And, and so that, that's the way we used to try to differentiate it. And that's how I continue to work now with coaches around trying to differentiate a little bit between the two. When you, you mentioned about that progress, what specifically are you monitoring? Because of the complexity of coaching the game and then evaluating the effectiveness of the method what models did you actually use to actually evaluate this progress? <laughs> yeah, good question. So um, what what I kind of came up with for training specifically was a combination of. So when we think about um, motivation, there were some things in there around like self-determination theory, but also some measures through motivational climate to understand first and first of all, what, what do we need to understand is how are people motivated? Um, what things can we do to try and help capture, harness some of the things um, or sometimes manipulate the environment if we need to in order to help? So when we think about task and ego climate, when it comes to motivational climate, there's probably another one that it's spoken about a little bit in the literature, but less clear. Um, and that's a combination of the two, because the competitive nature of of young players, we don't want to lose that by solely focusing on the task part. But at the same time, we have to understand our role as coaches. We probably don't need to magnify it either because I've yet to see a child come into an environment that's not competitive when we're talking about particularly around academy and elite football. I've yet to see one of them and I've yet to see a player go on the pitch to try to lose. So there's always going to be that element of looking to the next person and competing against them, which is more the ego climate. But we probably don't need to continually bring that to the floor, although you know, we can also not lose the essence of what the game is. And at some point they need to learn to compete. So we have to manage it. So there's some theory there that we try to build into a model. And we did build into a model that understood motivation, then into the environment that we, we look to create, 
which is all of those theories in, intertwined in terms of what the best approach is and how do we layer the information, which became more like the constructivist approach. How do we constrain certain parts of the practice when appropriate, which is obviously constraints-led approach all into one model. But essentially what we then need to understand is that everything that happens in the environment or the coach behavior that comes out, the environment that's created, the interactions that are happening between players, between staff and players, um, staff and staff, all of that thing will result in players um, perceiving something from the environment and their perception is, is reality for them. And as a result of that, then there will be things from what they perceive will inform their action. And then from their action, there'll be things that they can do independently or things that they need help with. Um, there's three, we split it into three layers of learning or knowing, if you like. You can know something, then you can understand something, which is a little bit deeper than knowing it. So if we think about knowing being recall, for example, we do a session on a Tuesday night and on the Thursday, we ask them what the key messages were. They can recall them, so they might know. But then there's a layer of understanding the importance of it. Where does it happen on the pitch? Um, what are the contextual factors that we have to be aware of? That's a little bit more because now they can they can understand what, what's asked of them and own the expectation. And then the third part for me is is performing it. Um, and performing it consistently in different, different situations, uh, which is repetition without repetition, if you like. And one thing that, that I always used to ask questions of our guys was, how do you know when a player is very close to performing? Because we make so many snapshot judgments of young players, particularly, even, even senior players when they get dropped from teams and that kind of stuff. But they might be very, very close to performing it. But you don't know because you haven't asked enough questions and you haven't understood where they're at in, in their journey yet. Um, and, and so the obvious thing that we do in training a lot is recreate situations. And we recreate, recreate, recreate. And it's like, yeah, but they don't need recreating. They know they know it, they understand it, but they haven't got the confidence to perform it yet. So we, now we need to focus on why, why is that? So we used, to, we used to bring a lot of that and a lot of psychology into it. And there's one, one visual, essentially, that when I watch training, I can go through and I can see whether, whether or not they follow some of these things in terms of their approach. It doesn't make you 100% effective, but it increases the chances of creating an environment where learning can take place far more easily um, than if you don't do them, for example. So, you know, having a plan is better than having no plan. But as uh, as the famous boxing quote goes, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. So we have to, have to appreciate that when it comes to a game, then it changes a little bit. Um, but if we have structure of sorts, it helps us to use that as a lens to observe through which then it hopefully increases the chances of spotting things, noticing things that can help us to be more effective than if we don't have one, for example, and the chaos just takes over and, and you don't see anything. So that's how that's how we used to try to operate. Um, and then we you can break it down in terms of education. You can work very specifically around certain problems, certain players, certain situations. You can do that far more if you know the theory and you've started to understand the theory and can apply it in context, which is, I think, the, the, biggest, the biggest benefit is being able to apply it. And that, that's what it's all about. What does it look like on the pitch, essentially? So what lets you know? What lets you know you know that? Um, yeah, that's another very good question. I think in terms of clarity in yourself, in terms of what that is, so what is it you're trying to teach? You can you can relay it with clarity. 
the the biggest part then is there are lots that can deliver it on the pitch, but can you actually see it? That that becomes the, the big thing, right? And I, I speak a lot about the art of noticing. Um, what is it that specifically you're looking for? Because if you look for everything, you see nothing. And sometimes you need to be brave that actually you're only going to try to look for two or three things. And there's going to be a lot that goes on in the session that you're going to have to ignore. Um, and sometimes that can be, you can feel uneasy about that because you feel as if your role is to see all these things and fix all these things. But inevitably, when, when we're trying to help people learn, we have to narrow attention because when we start to narrow their attention, we draw their attention to things far more vividly and far more often in sessions and in games. And that way we can then start to really see the detail that can, that can layer the process of learning for them. Um, and so, and so I think they're, they're the things that first you have to know the theory, of course, then you have to know what it looks like in the game, but then finally you have to know what good looks like and where they are on their journey, because your job is to help them. And the most important time to help them is in the moment. And you can only do that if you can, if you can spot it and you know what you're looking for. And then of course you'd see a change in behavior, change in performance, whatever it might be that gives you an indication of learning, but before that performing part, you have to spend time with them. You have to understand what players know, what they understand. And you can see that over time through body language. You can see it through um, when you know they've they've learned in the past and you've got something to recall as a coach. You can see it through that as well. But sometimes it's just sit down with them and understand. Just speak to them and you'll get an idea of whether they understand it or not by what they what they answer um, and where they go with it. So uh, they're, they're, they're some of the things I use along the way. That's kind of in line with where I want to go next. You want to help athletes on the road to optimum performance. And obviously, depending on the level you're working at, will completely depend on what optimum performance is. But they need the support network around them. From a coaching standpoint, what traits do coaches need to develop to help unlock this potential? Um, well, the first one I always come back to is they need to be able to connect with people. Forget the player, forget the athlete for a minute. You need to be able to connect with the person. Um, because I, I always believe if you develop the person, then the player or the athlete part will be far more easy to do. Um, but you can try to develop the athlete and never know anything about the person. And, and there's, there's reason for that as well. Because when you think about performance, whether that's, you know, it could be a coach, it could be a player, it could be, I don't know, a singer, it could be an actor, whatever. There's always the performance is never really authentic to the person because it changes and different situations and different stresses will, will cause a different performance, if you like, in terms of what we can observe. So players can be many things in many different environments and so can coaches. But what you when you get to know in the person, you get to know who the authentic self is. And that is far, I think it's far more, um, I would say, stable in terms of approach. And when you when you think about performance changing from time to time, the stability part is what you need to unlock really. Because if you start to unlock some of that potential, then you can start to affect and influence the performance and, and the dips and, and troughs and the roller coaster that you see that is sport where the ups and the downs, you can start to affect some of that stuff to bring far more stability in terms of at least the behaviors and, and the emotional control and that kind of stuff. So, so I think that'll be my first one. 
got to connect with people. And then when you think about what effective coaching for me is, well, it's a range of things. I think it's having a good process for the way that you want to work. Um, that's that's one. Uh, it's your behaviors. And, you know, you don't have to get into certain instruments around measuring behaviors, but understanding you and your behaviors. Um, are they effective for the group that you have? Or are they effective for you? Because there can be a difference there. Are we coaching for us or are we coaching for the athletes or the players that we're working with? Um, so that's something for coaches to to think about a little bit. Then there's some stuff around having a philosophy and understanding who you are um, and why you believe in what you believe in, because that brings far more clarity uh, in terms of the way you operate. Then, of course, there's some things around noticing. We've already spoken about the art of noticing. Um, how good are you at observing? Do you know what you're looking for when you observe? And then how do you make the decision around what to use now and what to park for future? Providing feedback, really important. Understanding feedback comes in uh, verbal and nonverbal. And the consistency between the two is also really important for players and for athletes. Because if you if you communicate something verbally, but your body language non-verbally is telling a different story to what you were saying verbally, then obviously there's problems there around trust and um, and things going forward. So you have to be really careful on that. And then the final part is the reflection bit. And we all know that this is probably the neglected part still in coaching practice and, and anything um, in any profession, really. So it's what do we learn from it and being purposeful around how we reflect and what actions we take from reflection to inform future practice. So I think all of those those six things are within in themselves really important, fundamental uh, basis, if you like, for effective coaching. And then obviously you can you can bring lots of other things that would be uh, important from time to time, but I would always come back to those six. I think you need them. I have so many questions, so many questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the first part of the last answer. So you've talked about connecting. It's obviously something that's extremely important to you. You've mentioned it a few times already. Terry Bowley walks into a room and he has to connect with a player. What do you do and how do you go about it? Uh, well, I think that the first thing is not to try to do everything in one. I think that's important because it's quite easy. You want to build this connection, so you try and offload everything that you've got in, in one sitting and then the player's like, wow, what, what's going on here? Um, so I think I think you have to be careful with that. But um, I've, always, I've always said that the most precious gift you can give anyone is your time. And, and I think it's, it's a process. So it's not... It, it, of course, for some, it can be instant. You know, you know, some profiles will carry instant respect because of what they've done previously, whether that's ex-player or whatever else. And I think the reason why connections become so important for me is because I don't walk in the room and everyone goes, oh, wow, look who that is. That, that's, not, that's not why I carry. I don't carry that kind of persona. I don't have that profile from past playing experience or whatever it might be. So... So I have to earn it and, and I try to earn it every day in terms of the connection and the respect and everything else. And I think be authentic is really, really important because people see through it. You know, the act might last for one or two meetings with a player, but after that, they'll start to see through it. Be purposeful um, and show that you care. I think that that is the real crux of it is genuinely care about the person that you're with um, and take an interest in them what they want, what they need along along the way, um, and then be consistent in in terms of your approach, how you how you see things, but also in terms of how you help them. And if you say you're going to do something, you make sure you do it. 
because that that's another big thing for me. If I say I'm going to do something to try to help you, if I'm going to prepare a video or whatever it might be, I do it, and and I'm I'm ready to do it each time. Um, and and that way, I think you start to see it over a period of time. Then when they come to ask, so the first party is led by you in many ways, from my experience. But then once they start to come ask and they're curious about more things, then you've got you've got a real uh, good opportunity to continue to educate. But I always strip it back and I come back to the first thing I said. It's about people first um, and genuinely try to connect around the person and then you get a chance. And and that that's yeah, that's what's always kind of served me so far in my career. And I think I'll always try to do that is, you know, be be humble, be honest and just try to really try to help people. That's that's what I see our job as. Paul, I totally agree with that. David and I have co-authored a book on this same subject. So it's it's very near and dear to us. You use the word curious quite a lot. And that word just draws in and attracts the attention. But I'm curious to find out what what your opinion is between striving for success and striving for excellence. Okay. Um, yeah, another good one. So in terms of what I see success is more outcome. When, when I see the word success, I think more of outcomes because success, and, and it all depends on definitions, of course, but success for me would be around achieving a desired goal or a, a desired outcome because I'm measuring it as successful. Whereas with excellence, I think it's something you strive for every day and it's part of the process. So I suppose less opportunities to be successful. And, and if I, let, let's, let's use Pep as, a, as an example, because he's, he's talked about this uh, prior to the Bayern Munich game, where he said that you have more moments in your career where you're unsuccessful than when you're successful. So you, you lose far more than you win, essentially. And I, I kind of view it like that, whereas the excellence part, you can develop excellence, but still not be successful because the success is judged on an outcome of, of some some kind. But the excellence part is something you can do every day. Um, and for me, developing excellence is, be, is about being the best person you can be every day and trying to be the best practitioner or athlete, coach, player, whatever that is, um, every day. And they are the skills that will always be fundamental to your practice um, and I'm working to continually improve them, um, continually inspire people. And then, as I say, the success part is depending on what what you set yourself, I think, as as a, a target or a definition of success. So, you know, is it at the end of the season? Is it for me success in terms of my career? Is it in achieving a certain role? But I'll only achieve that that role or that win or that that championship or whatever if I develop excellence every single day of the week both myself, but also in the people that I work with. That's that's the way that I would kind of see it. it I'm going to move on. Definitions, huh? <laughs> that was very well articulated, though. So I'm, I'm on board with those uh, those definitions that you gave. You talked about trends as well. You, you mentioned about, about Bielsa and uh, the bounce pass. For you, how do you stay up to date with the latest trends, the latest strategies, and what resources would you recommend for others that are in similar positions? Yeah, another another really good one. Um, for me, I think the first thing is remaining open and receptive because I clearly have firm beliefs around the way the game should be played, but also the way that people should connect, look, 
look after each other, support each other in in roles. But that doesn't mean it's right. And I think that, you know, it's right for me because that's what I believe in. But you always have to be aware and respect the fact that other people will have different views. And so don't try to oppress those views on other people. And also don't expect of other people what you believe in yourself. Because everyone, even in terms of, you know, um, I mentioned there about getting things done and making sure I, I stick to what I say I'm going to do and I try and do them quickly. Some people are far more relaxed about things and and they get it done, but it, their, their timelines for doing things are very different. And that frustrates me sometimes because when I'm in it, I want, I want to do it as soon as I can to the best of my ability to make sure that we can action things straight away, but that's not everybody. So, so I think in terms of that and where I relate that back to, there are many different styles of football for sure. And it doesn't mean that the way that we played at City Football Group is the right way because it's a way, but there are also a number of others is the Red Bull style. That's a way of playing. Um, now, I'll have my preferences, but it doesn't mean I can't learn from from those as well because although Bielsa was sort of possession-based, he definitely wasn't our philosophy methodology in terms of the way he played at Leeds because I think their game was far more chaotic than what we would like at City Football Group, where we try to control the game with the ball. Um, and more recently, when you watch Man City, they control the games now without the ball because they had less of the ball last night again. Um, they had less of the ball against Arsenal, but they still had an element of control. So I think I would come back to there using probably somebody from rugby as an example. And I'd probably use the All Blacks because they, for me, are the best with the ball, but they're also in control without the ball. And they also control the game with a kicking game. So even when they don't have possession in that way, they've always been very good at, at how they control a game and you always feel. And, and for me, that that's a psychological thing as much as it's the physical, technical, tactical thing of, of doing. Um, and again, I listened to John Stones last night and he talks about that in terms of um, remaining in control, remaining calm in those situations and, and being clear what you believe. So, so those things I think are really important that you remain open, receptive. There are a number of ways of doing. And if you look for... Um, things that you can attach to your beliefs, then you'll find them everywhere, absolutely everywhere. But you've got to be open to see them first. That that's that's the first bit. And you don't almost turn your nose up at it or disregard something because oh, well, that's not the game style that we play, so I can't learn. No, you can. You can learn from every every situation you want to. And similarly, that with people. So you know, I, I try to I try to take some inspiration from those at the real top of the game because clearly they're at the top of the game for a reason. But I also try to take as much inspiration from those that are not working at the top level of the game, because that probably relates far more to where I am in my journey. I'm not, you know, I'm not Pep Guardiola. I'm not Marcelo Bielsa. So, so I try to take things from as many different people as I can and, and try and relate it back to what I believe in, but also being clear enough about what I believe in to make sense of those learnings and those opportunities to learn, because I could go around the world and I could meet 50 different coaches and I could take loads of stuff from them. But if I can't make sense of it in my own mind, in my own philosophy and the way that I want to deliver, then the impact of that learning is going to be massively reduced. So being clear is another thing. Um, and then to take um, the second part of your question about where, I think it's you know conversations. So very rarely have I not replied to a, a direct message on Twitter LinkedIn, whoever it's from, and genuinely don't look who the person is in terms of what their job is before I reply. If someone asks me a question or um, offers the opportunity to speak, genuinely, I 
I take it and and I do that and then find out a bit more about them that way um, because I think it, it's it's important one that I can learn from them but two you know I've been on that journey where I'm trying to connect with people and and I've also not received any responses on on times and I think it's important when we want to grow the game and, and grow the profession that we want to help each other along the way so genuinely I I try to respond to everyone that I can um, and if I've if we can get on a call, we get on a call and discuss things that way. And there'll be examples out there of people where, where I've done that in all my roles. But social media is full of it now. Twitter, it can be a great source for learning if you know what you're looking for and if you can filter some of the other stuff because there is so much on there. I, I still think the best way to learn is through connecting with people um, because a, a content resource is a resource, right? And you can see a session, yeah, great, but what does it mean? <laughs> What, how do I deliver it for my players? And and I think sometimes we get too obsessed on technical practices and I've got a session for this and this is a session from Barcelona and this is an Atletico Madrid one and all that. Yeah, great. But, you know, th- there are coaches out there that say, yeah, I've got six sessions and I deliver them over and over because what I deliver within them changes. <laughs> so, and, and there's a real top Premier League coaches that believe that way. So, you know, for me, when I when I think about coach development, practice design is just an element of it. Um, whereas for some people it's everything and everything's driven through practices. I, I believe that whatever practice you put on, you can help players to learn, but it's about you as the coach and and how you work within it, the environment you create, that kind of stuff. And I'd far rather focus on that than having the snazziest practice where the cones put in certain places. It's like all else fails, go back to the game, let them play the game and coach them within the game. That that's that's how I that's how I view it. So yeah, I just think be open learn from everyone, um, Have be humble enough uh, to try to learn from everybody, uh, connect with people as often as you can, and then be open to, to other ways that maybe don't follow your thinking, but that you can equally learn from. Well, simplicity is the genius. Yeah, maybe I should have just said that instead of uh, speaking for three minutes and create a little detail. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be interested in your opinion or your thoughts around... The intensity on coaches nowadays is is immense. The pressures on them from, you know, they're sharp and we're talking about media, we're talking about ownership, we're talking about players. At the lower end or the development, you're talking about you know, pressure from parents and, and so on and so forth. We, we actually interviewed uh, Brian McDermott, you know, former Premier League manager, and Brian spoke quite candidly and openly, actually, about being in the hot seat. So when things are going well, it's great. When it's not, it's quite a challenging place to be. What are your thoughts around shared leadership? Um, it's a real hot topic for me. Uh, it has been for a while, even before my re- most recent experience, but it has been for quite a while because we used to have a kind of a belief that the coach was in charge, the manager was in charge. Um and indeed, in many, many clubs around the world, many leagues around the world, the manager made all the decisions at a football club. And probably the last biggest or the biggest examples of that in the Premier League would have been Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, where they were in many ways the executive as well as being the manager and they run the club. Now, I've, I've always been a huge advocate of building more sustainable structures so the role of technical director, director of football, sporting director, whatever title you want to give it, right? Um, I've always been a massive advocate of that. And I've also been an advocate of 
being receptive to various disciplines and the input of sports science and everything else. But it's interesting because I, I often see people who want shared leadership when it comes to the decision-making and responsibility, but then the only person or persons who lose their jobs at clubs when performances are not there and results are not there are the coaches. And I, I find it really interesting because we're we're in a situation where we're trying to wrestle away this control, um, which I believe in, by the way. So I'm not I'm not saying for one moment that the co- coach should be king and control everything at a club. I'm not saying that. But we're wrestling that away from a coach. And then we have all these different people who have now got responsibility for recruitment and they're going to give you these players. Um, and then from a sports science and a medical perspective, these guys are in charge and you don't really get a say or much of a voice in it because these are the experts. Great. But then you have injured players, you lose games, the coach gets sacked. I'm like, okay. So now they've got to sign up to something that they're not in control of either. So, you know, you always used to get, and you probably still do, get coaches where, and you hear the the phrase, uh, jobs for the boys, when they recruit their own staff. And actually at City, we stopped that because we, we would always allow them to bring one member of staff with them. They could decide who that was. It could be goalkeeper coach, could be an assistant could be a sports scientist, an analyst. They could bring one, but the rest of what they wanted went into the same kind of process as all the ones that we would recommend. And then we built the coaching team that way for more sustainability and both economically and also from a performance perspective. So we didn't rip out the whole coaching staffs constantly and, and that kind of stuff. But it's interesting because we're taking all that away but the only people that really have to front up to anything are the coaches. So they're the ones that get interviewed every week. And I'm not saying for one minute now the physio should start getting interviewed every week and that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that, of course. But but it's interesting when people want all this control, but they only want control when they can make the decision so they can be responsible without being accountable. And the coach is off, always accountable. I don't think that will ever change. Um, that That's part of the nature of the game and, and what people get into. But then in some countries, and you know, I've been fortunate more recently to work in Scandinavia and Norway specifically, the sporting directors have to front up there. There's a responsibility of them to, to actually have an external presence with some of the media. And I know there are others on the continent, you know, you see it a little bit in Spain, you see it a bit in Italy, where they'll get questioned and they're accessible to the media. Um, and, and I just think in those those situations, you see so many times where Coaches have come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. Some players at some clubs have had five, six coaches in their time at a club. And you're thinking like, wow, is this is this actually sustainable? Is this something that's going to really breed performance? Because everyone I ask about, you know, what, how do you get success? How do you become effective? They talk about the same things, like consistency. Well, you don't get consistency if you keep changing the coach every two minutes. So that, that's one thing. Alignment. Well, how can you align through the club if the person who's making the decisions at the first team continually change? How can academies align to them? How can all the departments align to the way of thinking? We know that building relationships takes time. So if we're going to continually build new relationships, well, that's going to be difficult as well. So it just, it just like, there's lots of things going on in my mind at the minute where like when we were at CFG, and one of the things I'd say about the guys at CFG was, you know, there, there was always decisions to be made, but we always backed the coach over firing the coach. And in every season that we won, uh, in any of the clubs, New York, Melbourne, Girona, Troyes, they all had moments in the season where we could have changed things. Mumbai, we could have quite easily changed it because we were on winning, we were on losing streaks. And we're like, well, we, 
don't know if we're going to achieve what we want to achieve here. Stuck with it. And we've ended up coming out the other end and winning. Of course, when that happens, people say, well, it's easy to sit there when that's happened. But, you know, when you've been through the process and had those discussions and and whatever, then I think it's um, it, it's a good place to be for sure. And it, and it makes success even sweeter when you know that you've had those tough moments and you've got through those tough moments with them. And instead of pulling the trigger, you didn't. Um, and, and one of the things I repeatedly say that I'm really proud of is those coaches that we recruited while I was there, we didn't suck um, in the three and a half years. Some went, you know, when we inherited a club and that kind of thing, then maybe some changed. Some moved on to other things. You know, Liam Manning left Lommel to go to MK Dons. It was a good career move for him at the time. But we didn't we didn't sack permanent coaches that were put in place in the time that I was there. We worked with them, supported them the best we could. They were also very good at what they did and connected and and we achieved some good stuff. You know, particularly 2021 will always be a year that I remember because obviously Man City had won the title in England. We won the title in Melbourne, in Australia. We won the title in New York City, the MLS Cup. Um, and we won in Mumbai that year as well. So to be champion in four different countries at the same time as some other clubs being promoted, that was that was a great year for the organisation and, you know, not because of me by any stretch of imagination, but it was a great time to be there to play a little part in in what people were doing um, at that time. Really refreshing, obviously, to hear that currently we're, we're at 13 managers now this season in the Premier League that have they've been axed, which is a record. And um, there's obviously others in there that probably are pretty close. And then you look at the clubs that are that are having success this year and have had success over a period of years are the ones that have gone through the process and stuck with it, even when it's probably not been as favourable. And, and obviously Arsenal this year are a great example of it, where Arteta could have, on the face of it, could have quite easily been sacked three years ago. Yeah, He's- I think every year, I think he, he, there's been moments where you think some clubs would have pulled the trigger. He was obviously doing something in those moments as well that convinced him that he was still the right guy. But fair play to them. You know, I'm a Tottenham fan as well. So them potentially winning the league this year is not not brilliant because obviously I have an affinity to City and I'd rather them win it. And I'm also a Spurs fan. But having said that, he's done a brilliant job there. And fair play to them for sticking with him, as you say, because so many could have could have changed it um, every season, probably up until this season. So, you know, fair play to them because... They've stuck with him and they're in the position they are. So Agreed. Well, I don't share the, the results standpoint with you because I would I was an Arsenal fan growing up, so I would like them to win it. But at least we're in agreement on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can't agree on everything, huh? Sometimes no. it's good to agree to disagree. Absolutely. So anyway, Kerry, last question for you. What advice would you give to aspiring coaches that are seeking to make a difference? Good one. Um, and this used to be something when I was at University of South Wales, we used to talk to our students about this on the football degree and the master's degree all the time. First one would always be earn your stripes um, because I, I think we can get younger generation now with a sense of entitlement um, and, you know, they expect to be paid straight away when they start coaching. And, you know, when I when I think back to, I never got paid until I went to Swansea City to work in the academy. And I'd worked as a coach for 10 years probably by that point. So um, I think there's that bit around work hard, earn your stripes before you start to expect. That That's something I would always say. 
be humble um, and regardless of what you achieve or whether whether it's perceived success or whatever, stay humble because those that you meet on the way up, you'll definitely meet them on the way back down. And I think that that's really important and never stop learning because the game will change every season without a doubt, even multiple times within a season. If, <laughs> if, if you watch enough of the game, things are always going to change. People are already re- always ready to challenge you. And then the final one for me would always be um, try and find the good in people because it's human nature to see the negative sides of things and to criticize Um but actually try and look for the good bits, whether that is you as a coach. Um, my favourite question used to be, tell me what the player can do, because everyone's quick to tell you what they can't, but actually what can they do? And if we build on what they can do, then that's going to give them the best chance of being the best player they can, because they'll develop super strengths. Whereas if we focus on the things they can't do, they'll never get to the level of the things they were good at anyway. So do you want to spend your time working on all of that stuff, or do you want to spend your time turning strengths into super strengths? Because that's how people will realize and maximize their potential. So they'd be they'd be the things that I would hopefully try to do um, myself in the way that I operate. Not always always successfully or effectively, but I try to. Well, Dr. Kerry Bowley, thank you ever so much. That was absolutely outstanding. I've got to thank you on behalf of David, myself, and the listeners. And that that was truly uh the learnings taken from this podcast will be many. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated. And it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.